good morning, everyone. Yay, responsive today. I love that. Um, So um, before I get started with the message this morning, I just want to share a few things. So initially, Ryan was supposed to be here speaking this morning, because if you you were here last week or if you watched it on the stream, he was like, I'm going to be up there a lot more. And now he's gone. And... um, (laughs) That might feel a little incongruent, so I thought I'd share why. So late Thursday night, I got a text from him, and it simply said this, hey, do you have any of those uh, at-home COVID tests? And as a true hypochondriac in a global pandemic, I said, yeah, because I hoard them like a dragon. So... Um, so I headed over to his place, and, you know, as we're sitting waiting for the test, you know, we're just talking, and then I pulled a little... Like almost like a little dipstick, and I'm like, "Oh, you're pregnant," you know. And it was, uh, and I could see him calculating in his head, like, "How long when did the symptoms start? Like, what about the CDC guidelines?" And I'm seeing his wheels turn because this man loves preaching so much that I'm, I know he was doing the math in his head, trying to figure out, "Am I good by Sunday?" And I look, and I'm like, "Stop it, stop it, you." So. Um, he's not here this morning. He's fine. He wanted me to tell you he is feeling fine. He is very light symptoms. He's, you know, doing well. But for those in the spit zone, you'll appreciate he's not here this morning sharing all of his wealth uh, with all of us this morning. So um, he sent me his notes uh, from the message he prepared and graciously said, you don't have to do all of these. Now, I don't know if you've been around at all. When Ryan preaches, it is like trying to drink from a fire hydrant shooting at you. And, and I, people have said they can feel like that way with me too, but there's a difference. There's a key difference between the two of us. Ryan tries to preach an entire like theological tome every time he preaches. Like the whole like commentary will be in 35 minutes. I can't say my first name in 10 minutes. So, you know, it's a little bit of a difference. So we're going to try to get, uh, his message is going to be the bones, but there's a lot of Druisms in this as well. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. So, um, so here we go. Ready? Begin. Um, <laughs> so as many of you know, if you're, if you're new here to Living Waters, you don't know this, but if you've been around the block with us a little while, you'll know that every year we start with um, intimacy, identity, and inheritance core teachings. And one of the reasons we do that is we believe that intimacy is the core and the place where our relationship with Christ is rooted. And it's from intimacy that everything flows. So when we teach on intimacy, we desire that the intimacy-focused weeks would remind you of God's passionate pursuit of you, of his constant invitation to your heart to be safe, set free, and satisfied in Christ. We want that the power of his love and desire to compel you deeper into his presence, to pursue him, that nothing else would satisfy you once you've had revelation of the length that he has gone in his love to be with you. Ryan mentioned this scripture last week. I'll I'll say it here again. It's Ephesians 3.17. That Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, that your roots will grow deep down into God's love and keep you strong, that intimacy is the root system of your life to weather the storms. Um, But before we even get going on that, I just want to clarify something about intimacy. You know, intimacy doesn't necessarily mean like great quiet times. If you've been in like 
church or religious system for a number of years, the QT, um, the quiet time, or the daily devotional, or the scripture reading and memorization, that's not what we're talking about about intimacy. When we talk about intimacy, that's not what we mean. Don't get me wrong, memorizing scripture, having time in the word of God, these are great things and they can help build into intimacy. But one of the things that we have to understand is that knowledge is not the same thing as intimacy. What we're going for when we talk about intimacy is oneness or unity. It's interconnectedness with God. That our, our lives become inseparable from him, this, this, this connection. Um, but, you know, as I was looking over these notes and talking this out with uh, my wife, Suzanne, who, if you haven't met Suzanne, you ought to meet her. She heals with her hugs. She's amazing. I make her sound cuddly. She's not really cuddly, but she's still somehow, it's like a chiropractor. You ever been to a Snap, you know, like a heel with your heart kind of thing. Anyway, that's Sue's. As we were talking, we were talking about this, this point of oneness and, and a point that she brought up and we talked a little bit about that I think would be good to talk about here today is what might come with this idea of oneness or unity. Um, in unity with Christ and oneness with him, there might be this sense uh, depending on what kind of religious background you have grown up in, that you lose yourself in relationship with Jesus. Like you use, lose the uniqueness of who you are, the personality as you morph into the image of Christ. But that's not actually biblically what this means. You know, we don't become this like blob that is unrecognizable in our personality. In fact, when we are united with Christ, actually the things that are preventing our true heart, personality, and our makeup from actually being expressed are what Christ strips off of us. The junk that, that pollute and, and distort the image of God in us. See, when Christ made all of you, he made you on purpose for a purpose. And the unique way that he made you reflects him in a unique way. And the sin and the entanglements and the brokenness in our lives, those things obscure that image. So unity with him doesn't mean we lose ourselves, it's that we actually find truly who we are. If you want a practical example of this, we can look at Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about this idea of marriage, which we know in scripture, marriage, when a man and a wife become one flesh, there's, there's unity there. But if you've met any married person, you know, they're, again, not a two-headed monster who has no individuality. They bring out the uniqueness in each other. And often, like, two married people can be wildly different. But in health, those things are celebrated and enhanced, not squashed or pushed down or rejected. So, you know, unity in Christ is much like that, where the, the uniqueness of who we are is brought forward, not pushed down. And so I, I want to set that context because... So often I think that maybe some of us have grown up in religious environments where the goal was to look like everyone else and to conform to that mold of what Christianity might look like. And I'm just going to tell you, God is so much more beautiful than that. And his manifold grace that he pours out on us, manifold meaning multicolored or varied, like there is beauty in the diversity of how he created us. And when we're in unity with him, that diversity, like a prism, shows different aspects of his, of his personality and his nature uniquely through us. Amen? Okay. First Druism accomplished. Yay. So we were created from intimate relationship. We are created for intimate relationship. And it is through Jesus, what he did was to restore us to that intimacy. Like, 
there's something really powerful about the reality of, of who he is and what he has done in us. He's created us for intimacy and from intimacy. And because of his intimate pursuit has made a way for that to happen. When we talk about intimacy, we can't separate that out. Colossians 1, 19 through 21 says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God and were aliens in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, those two scriptures talk something about our position in Christ. And this is really important to understand it, the, our position in Christ is truth. It is outside of any way that we feel. What Christ has done for us in his reconcil- reconciling us to the Father, that truth is our position in him. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We are his. We are without spot or blemish, regardless of how we feel. Okay? So, Intimacy is both about position, but it's also about pursuit. So position and, and that, that, that can often come with like that we pursue the knowledge of who we are in Christ. But knowledge is not the same thing as intimacy. Do you know that? Like in my years of ministry in Portland, um, in the discipleship ministry as a part of up there, Portland has a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges. And so I had a, a lot of opportunity to meet with people that had like advanced degrees in theology, people who had masters in divinity and doctors in divinity and like really, really smart, smarter than me people. And yet, even though they had all this biblical knowledge, memorized all this scripture, they didn't know Jesus personally. I'm not saying this for everyone, but I've met many who were like that. Like, I don't care if you can write a 45 page paper telling you about your position on premillennial dispensationalism whatever the crap that means. That's not the same as intimately knowing Jesus. Uh, uh, on, you know, similarly, but not, not as similarly, like when I was a kid growing up in youth group, I was a part of the Bible quizzing team. Anyone? Anyone? Metal folding chairs and a little pad that you are sitting on and then you raise your booty. I shouldn't do that towards the camera. Uh, right here, right here. Okay, yeah, so... I was at a disadvantage, if you don't know this, I had a little bit of a ghetto booty and I've got short legs, so I had to really raise up to get off the pad, but it just wasn't working for me. But I knew a lot of scripture, but I didn't really know Jesus. Because knowing theological truth and scripture doesn't guarantee that we are living experientially in intimacy with Christ. Not to say that, that, that we shouldn't know those things. Those things absolutely can set us up to have greater intimacy with Christ because it is in knowledge of him that actually combined with pursuit really does get us there. And I said this even a couple of weeks back that intimacy is knowledge with affection. Because you might know, like even the demons know Jesus, but they are not in relationship with him. So... Our position in Christ, knowing theological truth, knowing that is not the same thing as having intimate relationship and pursuit. 
Hebrews 11, 6 says, faith, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek or pursue him. Pursuit is this next part, position in pursuit. Pursuit, we'll talk about it like this. Our position is established in Christ and because of that, we can now pursue him because he first pursued us and made himself known to us. First John 4, 9, we love because he first loved us. You know, in his pursuit of us, God has removed every obstacle from us. He has removed every barrier from relationship. The veil has been torn. We are not separated. We, there's nothing that can prevent us from being able to walk into the presence of God, to walk into relationship. There is no system of sacrifice that we have to go through. Christ has accomplished everything. There is no barrier. There is no hoop we need to jump through. There's no standard we have to meet. There is nothing we have to do because Jesus has done it all to provide for us the opportunity to walk into intimate relationship with him but we have to walk into intimate relationship with him. Does that make sense? When we get a grasp of that invitation and the opportunity for intimacy, when we, when we understand that there's nothing separating us, we begin to grasp that depth and width of God's love for us, what he has done. And you know, sometimes there's, there's, there's moments, I think in every message sometimes that it might be the keys to unlock maybe places of bondage or disbelief or pain. And I know I've, I've had them multiple times in my life listening to someone preach and there's just been like one word or one scripture that suddenly just shifts everything for me. And I, I just feel it on, on this message that this, these next things uh, might be that for someone here. Hebrews 12, two says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We know this about Jesus, it's theological knowledge, but listen to this. The cross was less painful for Christ than a broken relationship with you. Maybe let that sink in for a minute. The cross and the experience of Christ being crucified was less painful to God than being disconnected in relationship with his children, with you. It was for the joy of reconnected relationship and intimacy with us that Christ endured the cross. Some of us don't know how to formulate that in our heads of the level of love and pursuit and acceptability to God that that represents. Really what it says is that first and foremost, the gospel and God's pursuit of you, me, all of us, it, it's truly a love story. It's a, it's a pursuant love story. And it's not because God wants something from us as if we could give to the eternal God anything that he doesn't already have. It's not what God wants to do through me as if he needs us in order to reveal his glory. Heck, nature reveals his glory. If we don't sing, the rocks will cry out. There are other avenues for God. He doesn't need us. He wants us. It's the, the, something about that is so incredibly powerful. It's a journey of love. It's a, it's a, it's a romance relationship. And it's a journey of reconnecting Intimacy isn't a requirement. 
It's an invitation. You know, the position that we're in in Christ is true whether or not we pursue relationship with him. He's done it. We don't need to have intimacy with him. He invites us to intimacy with him. He doesn't force intimacy. He makes space for intimacy. He doesn't demand intimacy. He requests it from us. I don't know how more gentle God could be than that. Matthew 13, 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, from what he had discovered, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Why? To pursue the thing of great value that he discovered. That's pursuit. You know, it, we say it uh, around here a lot. It's from Exodus 30 when Moses is talking to God and talking about moving forward. And the statement Moses makes to God in response is, we won't go without your presence leading. When was the last time we felt that there's no way I can do this without you, God? That you would not move forward without knowing his presence and the tangible experience of relationship with him. That motivation for intimacy is what we're talking about today. Something we also need to say is that, that intimacy is not God's presence, intimacy, unity. It's not a yo-yo with us. It's not with us some days and gone the next based on our behavior. So this is something that I struggled with deeply in my life. Um, for a lot of us, I mean, for, for all of us, actually, and this impacts different people in different degrees based on your history, but more often than not, the way that we view relationship with God the Father and consequently even Jesus and the Holy Spirit is a direct reflection of the, the perception and the relationship we've had with, uh, with our earthly parents. Because God has given us the model of our parents and even calls himself Father and relates in terms from the Holy Spirit, very motherly terms, so that we can understand by nature of these human relationships, almost like parable or, or sacrament, who he is so that we know how to relate to him. But for some of us, our parental relationships were, for lack of a better term, lacking or distorted. One of the struggles that I've had in life is to feel acceptable, to feel like I'm good enough to be in relationship because a lot of my history in pursuing relationship or, or trying to be in relationship was that I never measured up or I was never good enough or I was never fully loved or unconditionally loved. And so when I began to pursue God in relationship, the way that I would approach him in relationship was very much based on like, did I have the right to even go to him based on my behavior? Because even on my best day, on my best behavior, I wasn't fully acceptable or loved. And so how on earth could I approach a God, a holy and righteous God, with all the crap that was in my heart? Yet, that's not how God relates to us. That's not how intimacy is. It's not based on our behavior. Because of our position that we are in Christ, that we are seated with him in the heavenlies, that we have unhindered access to the throne of God. The unwavering fact is that Christ not only has made a way for us, he is aware of our weaknesses and our history and our future. I had a spiritual mentor in my life, a guy by the name of Cy Rogers, who some of you know who he is, and he's with the Lord now in glory, but that, that man had a way of communicating things that would minister directly to my soul. And I remember 
he's sharing a story of his own sexual broken history and how he would feel so defiled and would not go to God in the midst of his struggle because he felt too dirty. And yet one day in, in this moment of self-shame and, and the shame cycle he was in, God interrupted his thoughts and said, hey, Sai, who told you this was all supposed to be worked out already just because you were in relationship with me? Who said you were supposed to be all cleaned up in order to be able to come to me? And Sai in his classic, uh, the church of the holy assumption? I don't know. Um, <laughs> right? So, you know, and then God responded to him and saying, you know, if, if your struggle was so bad that it would disqualify you from intimacy and relationship with me, I never would have been so cruel as to invite you into relationship to begin with. And I really need you to hear that this morning. If the struggles that you have or the failures in your life or the things that control you or the addictions, whatever it is, if those things were so bad that they disqualified you from that invitation of relationship with Jesus, he never would have been so cruel as to make you aware of his love to begin with. He would rather have a son or daughter who struggles than no son or daughter at all. Let that sink in for a second. God's presence, his intimacy, his invitation is not a yo-yo. It's not inconsistent. It is the most consistent thing we'll ever experience in our lives. And it's Satan's ploy to try to get us to run from God in our brokenness or in our lack rather than run to the only one who can actually make things better, the only one who can clean us, the only one who can restore us, the only one who can remove those obstacles and change that filter that we view our relationship with him. It is him. He wants intimate pursuit. Now, something about this that I, that I shared, another, this is a Druism, extra gravy, really. You know, when we think about pursuit and intimacy, intimacy really is, um, it has levels of maturity that go with it. And there's different things that we expect in, in relationship and intimacy based on maturity. So I, this is just like the filter that I look through a lot of this with is I'm a parent, I have three kids. And because God calls himself father, I assume that I can understand things because of my position as father, how he might feel about me based on how I imperfectly feel about my kids. Again, have to change that filter sometimes because I'm not as gracious as God. But I have three daughters. I have a 15, almost 16-year-old, a 13, almost 14-year-old, and an eight-year-old going on 45. So <laughs> these kids are pretty, pretty amazing, and I love them. And as Susan and I were talking last night through this message, she made this comment because she's brilliant, and she was like, intimacy is, is really hinged on maturity. And when you're a kid, you don't have to pursue intimacy with your father. Your parent, your mother, your father is called by God to pour in and pursue them because they're needing their cup filled up. They're not, ex I don't expect my eight-year-old to come to me and say, tell me about your heart, dad. <laughs> I don't expect that. I know that my job is to love her, to pour into her, to, to provide for her. And she doesn't have to earn it because she's mine. Now, there's this beautiful thing that's happening mostly. I think it's a subtle shift that's happening, and I see it mostly in my oldest daughter where, like, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, getting the coffee in the morning, and she'll come up to me, and she'll say something like, how did you sleep last night, Dad? And I'm thinking, Why? You know, but no, I'm not thinking that. But it's, it's interesting because I noticed recently that it's her trying to pursue knowing me. 
Because there's this shift in maturity that's happening where instead of being like me relating down here, it, she's growing in maturity. And now we're starting to relate a bit more level. And we're getting, she's getting to know me. She wants to know me. And she's pursuing that knowledge of her father. And it's because she's been filled up. Some of you might be really young in your relationship with God. And there's a lot of trust that has to be built up in order to pursue him. Can I tell you that's okay? Can I tell you that is okay? It's okay if you need God to pursue you. You might be a baby in him right now. You might not have maturity in him right now. And that's not your fault. That's normal development. I look at it kind of like this where... You know, I look at things through the lens of the Bible and, and I, I, I want to understand God's nature and how he works with us in relation to that. And so, you know, there's this beautiful thing that happens in the scripture where God did not allow his Hebrew people to speak his name. I don't know if you know this, but the Hebrew name Yahweh, um, the Hebrew people were not allowed to pronounce it. So they couldn't speak the name of God. And I always thought that's weird. I mean, I don't want my kids to relate to me in a way that's like, hey, you. You know, it's like we, there's intimacy in familiarity and in, in relationship. But he didn't allow them to speak his name. So you see this in scripture where they started giving names to God based on their experiences with him. And do you understand that that's, those are names based in relational intimacy? And so there's wisdom in God, I think, to not let them just settle on a name that has no intimate connection with their experience, but they begin naming him based on how he's shown up in their lives. Like Rahab, who says, you are the God who sees me. You know, when David talks about God being his strong tower or his defender, or you see, you know, other names for God, like the healer or, or the provider. I mean, I know that I could name God in my experiences with him of like the God, like we sang it today, the way maker, like, that you, God, have done something that I had absolutely no, I, that was impossible in my mind. But you are the God of the impossible. Like, that's who you are to me. Like, you're the God who, who met me in my shame and lifted me up. You are the lifter of my head. Do you see that in the Psalms? Because they're intimate encounters with God where people are beginning to know him and they name him based on intimate relationship. This is intimacy at work. You know, it's, uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. I'm all over the map today because this is not my message. This is someone else's I'm trying to do. There's something really broken about some of the ways that we've been taught about intimacy or relationship with God. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, but, you know, it, 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 when we grow up in religious systems that value behavior and the external more than the internal relationship with God, we start behaving in ways that are, that are disconnected from the reality that we're experiencing. So it's like, oh, God loves me, but I don't experience or feel or accept God's love. And so I am loved, and yet I feel ashamed every time I fall down or I can't go into your presence. So I'm loved and accepted, but I'm not because I'm unacceptable. And we call that cognitive dissonance. It's where you're saying something, but you don't experience or believe it. And it, it's, it's got this erosive effect on our spirit, on our soul, on our bodies. It's super unhealthy. And so when we allow that kind of stuff, that, that, that incongruence to cultivate in our lives, it just, 
it's broken and it, 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 it erodes faith. And we start looking at what's spoken as true in the scripture, but because we're not experiencing it, if we say that we are, that's, that, that's not faith. Like whatever crept into spirituality, we're like, I'm going to claim what I have not yet. You know, I am loved and I don't believe you love me. Better to say, I believe help my unbelief. Better to say, I believe you love me, but I haven't experienced that yet. Whatever it is, God, that's preventing me from experiencing your love, reveal it to me so that I can deal with it, so that I can experience your love, because I want to know your love. Honesty, go figure. It's almost as if he wants honest relationship with us. That cognitive dissonance, that erosive effect, it, it shrinks us. And our faith will always shrink back to the lack or the disbelief or the comfort or the fear that we allow. It will grow, our faith will only grow to the level of intimacy that we cultivate. And, and that's just truth. It's not an accusation. If, you, if anyone's hearing this as an accusation, please don't. It's an observation. And it's one that's true in me and true in, in all of us that if we, we will only cultivate the, the intimacy with Christ in our lives that we allow based on what we allow to remain as truth in our hearts. But this weird thing that we do in religious or, or performance or behavior-based symptoms, it's more important of how we appear than the actual fruit of intimate connection with Jesus. So better look good, better do the right things, but it doesn't actually matter what's going on in our hearts. And that's so reverse of God's heart for us. He sees our heart, not our outward behavior. So let's, this, it's habit rather than habitation. It's, it's a form of godliness denying its power. It is whitewashed tombs. And that's not God's heart for any single one of you. You know, the promise of his presence and the promise of our position in him says this from Hebrews 4, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace of our God, that we will receive mercy and help when we need it most. What that says is that intimacy with God, the position that we have and our pursuit of him, which sometimes looks like help me rather than just, I want to know you. It looks like help me. I'm stuck or help me. I'm dying or help me, whatever that pursuit. When we run to him, not from him, that is a powerful expression of intimacy that, that as we cultivate that response, it's not just for us. It's for those around us as well. Because the fruit of that intimate connection as we get to know him, when you experience that God has met you with love in your brokenness, when you have experienced that God has not rejected you when you have rejected him, when you have experienced that your rebellion and your, your running away from God has been met by the prodigal God who is waiting at the end of the road for you to come back, 
and you experience that intimate moment where no matter what you look like, what filth you have on you, or what pride you have on you, God has still met you with open arms and loves you as you are, but doesn't leave you as you are. It's not just for you. It's for those of us in the body of Christ and in the world who need to understand that same God. And we know him through experience, not through knowledge. Just knowledge, rather. If you can imagine this, knowing and enjoying God, if you can imagine knowing and enjoying God, instead of trying to earn his attention, please or repay him, be worthy enough for him, then you are beginning to get a picture of what a life of intimacy with him is all about. For some of us, again, that's, that's just a foreign concept because unconditional love and acceptance, it just, it's so foreign to us. We haven't experienced it. And so it's hard to, to get our minds around a God who just wants to be with us. When I was growing up and, and probably facing some of the like ugliest of my brokenness in my early adulthood, there was a Christian band I used to listen to all the time. And if you're, you know, in your late 30s to 40s-ish, you might know of the band Cademan's Call. Anyone? They had a song on their, like, their debut album that I hated back then. I hated this song because it bugged me. Because I'm like, because I grew up in a very performance-based, holiness-based church that was like, behave, be sanctified, bah, you know. And, and this song was called Stupid Kid. And the course of the song was basically like, would you love me just as much if I was just your stupid kid? Your immature, broken, struggling kid. And from my mindset, no, because I'm supposed to be better. And that song bugged me, like, or ate at my soul, because it revealed an incongruity in me that I was talking about before, a lack of intimacy with God, because although I knew about God, I didn't know him. And so when it talked about his love, I could quote those scriptures to you day and night, but I did not receive them because I couldn't because I did not believe God would love me just as much if I was just his stupid kid. I remember the day, I think, not, maybe I don't remember the day. That's an overreach. I remember the general season when this began to sink into my heart and mind of like, you love me because you love me. You love me because I'm yours. This revelation has helped with me being a parent because sometimes I love my kids because they're mine, not because they're good. They're watching right now. Hi, Bailey. Wink, wink. But do you have that relationship with God? Where in your failures, in your brokenness, in your whatever it is that you think makes you less than, that you know that you know that you know that you're loved because you're his, because you're called by his name, that you don't have to prove it, you don't have to earn it, that he's done it for you. Intimacy starts with that knowledge because we do not make ourselves available to intimate relationship with someone we don't trust. And we don't trust God if we don't think he accepts us. Amen? Amen. So let's go back to this, uh, this idea of God's name, Yahweh. And I said at the very beginning, we were created from intimate relationship we were created for intimate relationship. And when that relationship or intimacy was broken, Jesus came to restore us to intimacy. So the name of God, born allowed to speak it. 
But the, the actual pronunciation of the word Yahweh, I heard this teaching a while back and it blew my mind whole. It was the fact that Yahweh mimics the sound of the inhale and the exhale of our breath. So the inhale, so that the very name of God is the first thing on our lips the moment we're born and the last thing on our lips before we pass into eternity. And all throughout our life, whether or not we are recognizing it, acknowledging him as God, we are perpetually speaking the name of God over our lives, that it is from the very moment, from the beginning to the end, the very breath in our lungs speak his name. And it resonates really powerfully with this, these scriptures I'm gonna share with you now. From breath to breath, God is in pursuit of intimate relationship with us. Genesis 2, 7 says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living thing. We know that in the garden that we had perfect, uninterrupted relationship with our father and it got broken. It got broken by sin and that intimacy was broken. And when Jesus pursued us by becoming flesh, making his dwelling among us, reaching into our lives, the very presence of God here and now, Emmanuel, God with us, he breathed life back into us. John 20, 22, Jesus saying to his disciples, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit an intimate connection was reestablished. In that entire time in the sacrificial system of the Hebrews, the presence of God was reserved for the Holy of Holies behind the veil in the one place where only one priest could go only a few times a year and restricted from the people. There was no access to the presence of God. And in this moment, Jesus breathes the very thing into his disciples and changes the dynamic because now we are restored to intimacy because the Holy of Holies is here. And if we are in Christ, we carry his presence with us, whether we feel it or not. An intimate relationship is restored to us because we were born and created for intimate relationship. We are created from intimate relationship. And when it was broken, Jesus came to restore us to intimate relationship. Do you feel a lack of intimacy with God in your life right now? So often we do. Practically, let's talk about this. Like, if you lack a sense of intimate relationship in an in a earthly relationship, well, what do you do? If you're married and you sense a lack, or if you have a good friend and you sense a lack, there are practical things that we do. So number one is if you're not spending enough time with one another, you say, we need to spend some time together because time allows for knowledge and intimate connection. If you are feeling a lack of relationship with God, how much time do you make for him? And please do not hear me say, get up before the break of dawn. Read one passage of the Old Testament, one Psalm, one Proverb, one New Testament. You know, do the model. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying create space for God in your life. And it might be very simple as to say, just reduce the distractions in your life. If you're driving, if you drive a long distance, when I lived in Portland, it took me like 45 minutes to drive to work across town. I hated it. 
I turned on my music, I turned on a podcast, I passed the time, zoned out in that 45-minute purgatory of my commute. Now, living in Medford, like, there's, I often have to drive around a block a few times to finish my song. <laughs> because it can get anywhere in this town in, like, 10 minutes. But that to say, what if you started with your whatever long commute and you just turned off whatever distraction and you said, I'm here, God, what do you want to say? What if you got up earlier? What if you stayed up later if you're a night person? What if you turned off Netflix? What if you increased points of connection? When was the last time you read your Bible? Not being legalistic here, just simply asking. It is the living, breathing word of God. When was the last time you opened it? Not to be super convicting, but to, how many of you brought yours to church today? Oh, that weight of conviction is falling. What if you identified places where you're simply going through the motions and not actually engaging in presence? There was a, I mean, can it be that simple? Like, maybe, maybe not, but it's a really good place to start of just making space. When I was uh, first kind of learning this in my relationship with God, there was a book that kind of transformed my thinking on it, and it was called Practicing the Presence of God by a guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk, Catholic monk, I think, maybe Jesuit. I'm not sure. Potato, potato. In my mind, probably not, but whatever. <clears throat> but he wasn't the most spiritual of monks. He wasn't like the head monk. He wasn't like the, 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 the priestly guy. He was a cook. He was doing everyday things to serve this community. And he just began realizing God's presence is always with me. What if I just slowed down and made space to be aware of his presence with me? What if I, what if I just slowed down and realized God is with me when I'm doing the dishes. I can talk to him or I can listen. Or I can just transform this medial task to know that it's holy ground because God is with me. I'm a parent. I have three kids. I do laundry every freaking day of my life. What if I invited Jesus to be with me as I fold all that laundry? I turned off the TV and I just listened or talked and made space for God to, com to communicate with me. It doesn't have to be complicated because intimate relationship with Jesus is not complicated. It's very, very simple. Make space for him. I've heard it said so many times and I know I'm going over it and I don't care. God is a gentleman. He's not going to push his way in. He's not going to force his way into relationship with us. He is not like that. He will pursue us, but he will not make us have relationship. He will not make us make space for him. He will wait on us to make that for him. So can I challenge you to make space in your life for the presence of God? If I can invite the worship team back up, we're going to respond to this time in worship and to give you, I want to give you all the freedom in the world, but I do want to challenge you. If your go-to is just to be detached and like be passive receptor in a time like this, can I challenge you to be a little bit more active? If you just sit normally worship and just sit and stare, can I challenge you to stand up and sing and to engage? 
if you are a person who always stands and sings, it doesn't pay any attention to what you're actually singing, can I challenge you to shut up for a minute? and read the words and listen to what's going on in the room. If you're a person that is like, you know, you fall down on your face every time, it's just what you do, can I challenge you to not do that? To engage in a different way with God. If you have never in your life gotten on your face before the Lord, may I challenge you to do that and experience how God will meet you there? When we're talking about intimacy, if we sit here passively, we're gonna get all the knowledge of this, but we're not gonna have none of the pursuit. And pursuit looks very different for each of us. Pursuit might be to say, I'm gonna go get some communion elements and realize and try to absorb the reality of Christ's broken body and his bloodshed on the cross, which was less painful than not having relationship with me. Can you let that sink in? So I just invite you to, to do a little pursuing of the presence of God this morning as we respond to this. No one will judge whatever way you choose to do that. But I invite you to step out of your norm, to expand your boundaries of how you engage, to challenge yourself because you will meet a God who loves you like you've never imagined. He's so much better than we know, guys. He's so much better. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna do this. Father, set me apart for you. I acknowledge that, the, that living fully alive apart from you, Jesus, is impossible. So I invite you into my life and give you all that I am and all that I will ever be, all to you. You hold my past, my present, and my future. Let everything in my life that doesn't look like you or prevents me from knowing you or hinders my relationship with you be destroyed by the consuming fire of your love. I let go of fear, selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, pride. I let go of self-hatred and self-disqualification. I choose to set my heart on a journey of pursuing you and making room for your presence until I carry that awareness in such a way that it impacts every moment and every word and every event throughout my day. Father, I make space for you. I wanna know you. Be known by me. Amen.
and acknowledge our vulnerabilities and the places that maybe we feel uh, immature or inadequate or all those different things and it does not change the desire of your heart for connection to us. Um, so we thank you that you are wanting to meet us wherever we're at on this, this, this spectrum of intimacy and connection. You're wanting to meet us right now for this season as we go out from here, as we take another step deeper into it. Lead us into one more step of obedience, one more step of, of belief, one more moment of silence, one more uh, moment of acknowledgement or of confession or connection as we go out from here, God. We want to be people that are continually growing and changing in you and with you, God. We just bless you. Say